So this is week three in our series entitled Work in Progress. And each week I've had you to look over at your neighbor and explain to them that they're a work in progress, so we don't want to veer away from that. So won't you just look over at them and tell them, say, you are a work in progress. Now look at the person on the other side of you that you didn't want to look at and say that and tell them they're a real piece of work. <laughs> there you go. So now that we got that out of the way. There's some pretty good pieces of work in here. I think everybody was a little stronger in that statement than the first one, but that's okay. We've been looking at this and talking about because the word progress and that's the word we're wanting to focus on is that we're a work in progress that there is progression happening in our life that God is continuing to work on us and in us and through us for his will to be done on earth and it's really not about perfection in this life but progress. So we can attempt to claim perfection, but everyone around us knows that's not the case. There was only one perfect that ever lived on this earth, and his name was Jesus. He's perfect. We're not. We need him. He don't need us. Amen? He desires us, but God had always been before humans ever existed. So he can exist without us, that's for certain. But I truly believe we cannot exist without him. And I didn't know what songs Leslie was picking and stuff for today, but I was, as I was playing through there, and a lot of times I'm trying to pay attention just to make sure and hit a note maybe every fourth one or something, and on verse 2, it says this in the last song we just sang there about being a champion. It says, perfection could never earn it. You give what we don't deserve, and you take the broken things and raise them to glory. So a few years ago when we was going through some things here at the church and going through some lessons and God was teaching us some things. There's a book in that office in there and it's entitled No Perfect People Allowed. And that was the book that they had us to read during our training to say No Perfect People Allowed. Because the second you allow somebody to come in that thinks they're perfect, on somebody, that's the ones that begin to tell everybody else how wrong they are. And how right they are. <laughs> so we need to live by that here at the church and say no perfect people is allowed here. Broken things and broken humans, that's who God uses most. And if you read through the Bible and read through the stories of the Bible, you'll see pretty quickly that those least expected to ever do anything significant are the ones that God uses in extraordinary ways. And we don't want to get into a naming thing here, but there's so many throughout Scripture. 
that God uses. King David being one, for sure. The least amongst his brothers. The one that the dad left out in the field, called all the other sons in and said, Here, here's my boys. Anoint one of them king. And can you imagine in Jesse's heart whenever he got to the last, last son and, and Samuel the prophet looks up and says, No, not this one either. Is there any more? Well, I got that one that I just leave out in the field. He's not worthy to be in my house. I just leave him out there, the left out one. And when he comes walking in, the <laughs> Bible's pretty plain about Samuel saying, this is the one. And Samuel begins to pour oil over him and anoint him as king of Israel, least likely amongst us. So if you feel like you've been abandoned by society or let down by society or the least among your brethren, as the Apostle Paul says it, that's what he claimed one time, I'm the least amongst the brethren. But look at your New Testament. Look at the books of the New Testament. And the Apostle's name is written all over them, the Apostle Paul, that did extraordinary things when he felt like he was least and doing the least. God used him the most. So when you're sitting here today and feeling like, I don't know if I can make it another day, feels like my heart is shattered, I feel all torn, I feel washed up, used up, abandoned by society, today's your day. God is willing to use the broken things. Would you encourage somebody in the room today, look over at him and say, God can use you in your broken state. Amen. So in this series we've been looking through and just kind of um, looking through scripture and a few texts here and there. And last week I had us to look at 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And it says, Now may the God of peace, he is the God of peace. There's other gods out there that other people worship. They're not the God of peace. They're the God of war. Amen? They're the gods of destruction. But our God, Jehovah, is a God of peace. He desires peace in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit, and in your person. His goal is peace for you. So now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God of peace sanctify you. That means set apart. Means him putting his rubber stamp on you. A few years ago, we had some suckers here, and I had one of the kids to take the sucker or give me the sucker, and I licked it and I handed it back to him. And asked if they wanted it, and they said no. And I used that for an example that that's what sanctifying means. When you lick it, most people you hand it back to, there might be some weirdos around that would, but most people you hand it back to won't take the sucker from you because you've already set it apart. Amen? You've claimed it as your own. That's what God does for us. Basically what I'm doing is calling all of us suckers. But that's okay. <laughs> so Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, he's explaining to them that the God of peace. And the world wasn't in a state of peace at that time. The Roman Empire was well into its years under rule by an emperor. And they had abandoned their ways of the republic and they'd 
uh, the Senate had broken apart and different things had happened and so many emperors had come along and when they come along they would be born and take over as emperor and they would claim themselves as a god. So whenever you see in the New Testament Paul saying the gods of this world, he's talking about the emperor claiming as a person, I am God. How many know some people throughout your life that thought they were God? <laughs> thought they were it. All that and a bag of chips, right? <laughs> Me, myself, and I. Self-centered. But in this verse, he's writing to that church and telling them that there's a God of peace. And he's going to sanctify you completely. Holistically. Every part of your being God is going to sanctify. God is going to set apart. You don't set it apart. He sets it apart. So sanctification comes from where? It comes from God. If we could clean ourselves up enough to become a Christian, we wouldn't have needed Jesus to hang on that cross. Amen? We need him to save us because we cannot clean ourselves up enough to be worthy to come to him. He's the answer for our storms and our problems. So as the church there is understanding, he's telling them that God will sanctify you completely, your whole person. Everybody say your whole person. It means every part of you, every part of your being, God intends to sanctify. So last week we talked a little bit about the body, right? So but this verse has got him in order. It says he will sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, everybody say spirit, spirit. and soul, and, soul. And, body. and body. So it names them that way, that spirit, soul, and body. But last week we began this sermon last week with looking at the body, that God intends for your body to be whole, sanctified, set apart for his purposes. He cares about your physical body. And I know that some people look at a verse in the New Testament that says that bodily exercise profiteth little. How many likes that verse? That's <laughs> saying you don't have to exercise. Glory to God, that's one I want to accept. I like that one. You ought to write that one on your mirror. <laughs> Every morning, wake up and read that. That's, that's, that's my verse there. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Bodily prof exercise profits little. Because the reason it's saying that and the reason Paul was telling the church that was because they cared more about their physical body than they did the other components of their body, other person. So if all we care about is this physical body, and there's nothing wrong, the Bible does say that this is a temple. Amen? If this is God's temple that he gives us, know you not that you're a temple of the Most High God? Shouldn't we take care of this temple? If it's God's? Yes. So I'm not telling you not to exercise. Elizabeth and Ashley, named, they're about ready to come up here and punch me in the face the way the look on their face was. It's like they're the exercise, you know, people in the room. There's probably others in here, too, that does that kind of stuff, and that's, that's cool. That's good. So I'm not telling you not to exercise. I'm just saying it profits little. What's that mean? It's the least amongst the three that you need to worry about. Your human body, this physical body, is the least among the three that you need to worry about. 
Not that you're not worrying about it. I worry about it the least because it has the least profit. What's that mean? It will not last in eternity. You follow me? This body is not going to heaven. This physical body that you have is not going to heaven. If you give your life to Jesus, your spirit and your soul is going to heaven, right? And then someday he's going to call in the rapture of the church and there's a glorified body we'll receive. It's not this one. How many say thank God for that? Yeah. Amen. No more sickness, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. Come on, somebody. That sounds pretty good to me. I'll trade it right now, right? But as long as we're on this earth, I'm not telling you not to take care of your body. I'm saying care about it the least in the components of your three-part being. Not that you don't care about it. Care about it the least. Everybody say the other two is more important. But I still love this body, right? You, yep, you'll stand and look at it in the mirror and just chest out. All the guys in here combing your chest hairs. I know what you're doing. <laughs> so Paul, to the church there, saying that God is going to do that, sanctify it completely and holistically, all parts of your being. God is sanctifying all. So when you give your life to Jesus, sure you're giving him your physical body. And this is when you become a temple of God. But the other two parts that we need to discuss are the other two that Paul lists here to the church at Thessalonica. Your soul and your spirit. So today I want to talk about the soul a little bit and dig into that and think about that. The soul. One old song said, where the soul of man never dies. It's one of the old songs. Huh? Never grow old. Yeah. The soul of man the soul of man so when I'm saying this today I want us to contemplate these things to think about these things to hold these things in high regard because God's word is the answer to the problems in our life So you got this up here on the screen, and it kind of puts these three parts here. They are intertwined in a lot of ways. So the soul is a psychological. The body is a physiological. And the spiritual is God-conscious, so that's the spiritual realm. So there's three different parts to a human being. And those three are really one. Correct? You need all three. Isn't it kind of amazing that in the beginning in Genesis, God said, let us create man in our image. God is three parts. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? If he has three parts, he made us with three parts. And as I think about that and consider that, the soul... What is that? So the psychological, what, what does that mean? And, and as you can read through it, and there's a lot of different things and topics and different people that's a lot wiser than I am that understand these things. But 
they break them down to these three basic things that they say about the soul. If you want to describe the soul, it's your mind, will, and emotions. I've been saying that the last couple of weeks, mind, will, and emotions. I hope if I say it eight times throughout this sermon that it will stick, right? Because people with better backgrounds than me says if you say something eight times, give examples eight different ways, most of the time humans in our existence, our psychological makeup, will retain it. Eight times. So parents, if you told your kids to clean the room eight times and they haven't got it yet, you're not saying it right. <laughs> Amen. So even though you just say it right, doesn't, or you say it doesn't mean that it's said right to, for them to understand it. So spirit, soul, and body, spirit, soul, and body. And then in the soul, in the soul there's three parts of that, mind, will, and emotions. So everybody say it with me. Mind, will, and emotions. Now, there's surely no one sitting around you. that has trouble containing their emotions. <laughs> has anybody mastered that? Has anybody perfected in their master degree of their emotions? How many's ever been in a situation that you didn't think about crying, you wasn't contemplating crying, you wasn't trying to cry, but your surrounding and the things that happened around you caused you to cry that you could not control. That is your emotions. But the Bible does tell us to have self-control. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. To control ourselves. But to what degree does that go? God created us with emotions for a reason. Because those emotions are releases that cleanse. And any of the gentlemen sitting in here that thinks you're too tough to cry, you're too big and bad to cry, you're holding back the dam that God is asking you to release. Because crying will relieve your heart's problems. And if we think God doesn't have emotions, we're badly mistaken. One of the Old Testament spots, you know, Moses comes down off the hill. God had wrote on these big nice plaques, you know, these big sculptures. And Moses comes carrying down over the hill. And what happens? He gets down there, and they had made a golden calf. Got tired of waiting. Sound familiar? <laughs> Got tired of waiting on God. I, Moses up on the hill. He must have died up there. Let's just go ahead and build a golden calf. Let's throw all the stuff in there and whatever it comes out like. That'd be perfect. We'll, we'll serve that. That'd be a lot better than him. Throw all their earrings together. Every, every piece of gold they had, they threw it all together, literally, and threw it in the fire and it come out and it looked like a calf. And they oh, everybody bowing down to a golden calf. Moses comes down over the hill. What's he do? He gets mad. And he breaks those tablets. And there's many times in the Old Testament that says God was angered with Israel. Does that sound emotional? Don't you love babies? Ain't they the best? They're a work in progress. 
So another time in the Bible that I know of where that emotions are pictured from the point of God having emotions is when Jesus was on this earth, you know, he was going about doing good. He was healing all those that was diseased. He was laying hands on the sick and seeing multiple miracles of people not born blind, was able to see people with limbs that couldn't move, was able to move. The guy with the withered hand, you know, there's so many stories about Jesus healing those that were sick. Bodily. Physical. And in the same way, I assure you, there were so many that he was speaking to in words, setting, listening to those sermons on those hillsides, were healed emotionally. Amen? He, he was what about the woman at the well? Broken, busted, disgusted, five husbands, living with a guy now that's not her husband, all this stuff going on. There's a lot of emotions going on, right? Jesus walks up, and she says, he told me everything, everything. His words spoke to her, not in a tangible way, but in a physical way that went to her internal soul that created a peace that she had never had. How many wants peace? So, Jesus doing all this, but one day he's out there doing some work, and they come to him and say, well, your old buddy over here, he's kind of sick. Jesus like, okay, I'll, I'll be there. He's my friend. I, I kind of like that guy. Yeah, I, I'll come over. But he doesn't come right away. Takes a minute or two. Jesus waits and continues on his ministry and doing what he's doing because he knows it's the will of God to do this work. But as he's there and doing this work, there's things happening over there. And his buddy that was sick passes away. They put him in the tomb. Funeral's already over. <laughs> Jesus comes walking up, and the two sisters to Jesus' buddy says, Why are you late? Imagine having in so much, uh, yeah, <laughs> telling God you're late. Now, it's, it's one thing for husbands in the room to say, hurry up and get ready. We need to get there. It's opposite of that in our house. Leslie's usually got to rush me to get ready to get here on time, right? How many likes being on time? How many likes being late? It don't matter, right? There's, there's some people, you didn't raise your hand because you was late raising your hand. <laughs> <laughs> so Jesus comes walking up on the scene. You're late. How many knows that would hurt if you was God? That a human that you created, a family that you'd been around and ate all kinds of meals with and had great friendship and fellowship and love for, when you come walking up, they said you're too late. Wouldn't that hurt? Hurt your heart? So it says Jesus goes out there and stands and he looks at that tomb. One of the shortest verses in the Bible. Jesus wept. It proved his emotions were intact in his being when he was on this earth. That God himself wept, got emotional 
because of the situation he was in. I don't know if he was weeping because of their unbelief, Rick. I don't know if he was weeping because this is the situation that the sin in the Garden of Eden had caused was death and decay. It doesn't say what he's weeping about, but it says he wept. But he doesn't leave the situation the same. The next thing he says is, Lazarus, come forth. And when God says, come up out of your situation, it don't matter if your heart's beating, it don't matter if, it don't matter if your mind's thinking, it don't matter anything. When God says, come out of there, you got to come out. And can you imagine the rumble in the room where God spoke and created things by very words coming out of his mouth. And Jesus saying that, and it says that Lazarus became walking out of there in his grave clothes. They said, don't move that stone. He stinks. That's one of Leslie's favorite verse. He stinketh. She likes the King James Version better. He stinketh. Jesus didn't care if he stunk. Jesus didn't care if he was perfected. Jesus said there's progress getting to happen because I'm going to say it and you're going to watch and see what happens when I say something. Amen. When I speak in faith and say my children's coming home and I believe it, amen. The Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue. What are you using your tongue for? Amen. What are we saying out loud, believing in our heart with faith and speaking? What are we doing? Most of us probably speak fear more than faith. Well, I'm afraid what will happen if I do that. I've seen old Billy Bob over there with them teeth like that, and I, I just don't want to be like that, Billy Bob. Amen? We as humans speak more fear than we do faith. But the Bible tells us a man can have whatsoever he saith. Amen? We have to speak and believe and calm our fears because fear comes from where? Our emotions. Our emotions is what drives those fears. So we got to look outside of our context and our situation and begin to speak what do we desire and is God's will for our life and begin to say it over and over and over again believing that we'll receive the things that we speak. So that is the part of the self-control that God is desiring that we, as Christians, would have a work in progress. So today, I think we need to pray for more faith for our soul. That my mind, my will, and my emotions will not drive me. Amen? I'm not saying that you're not going to cry because you will, even when you don't want to. Even when you try to stop it, your emotions will drive you to cry. Sometimes it's for good. Sometimes it's for bad. When you're at a funeral, you've went through the process, and you're going through all that, and getting all of it ready and all of it prepared and working through it mentally and all these things and all the challenges and all that stuff, and you, and you really can't, don't come to the conclusion that somebody's passed 
until you're sitting there and they start playing Go Rise High on the Mountain. And I've been to so many funerals that I watched the people that look the strongest just trying to hold it back and have self-control and contain their self. The second the songs start playing, the tears will start flowing because the emotions are coming through. God created those emotions and they have good purposes when it's according to his will. Mark 8, 35 through 38. I'm going to read this. If you, This is one of the verses that right when I first got saved and got in church and I think it's 30, uh, what is it, 36? Yeah, 36 was the first verse that I memorized when I, when I got saved. That I got my Bible open. And Mom used to say all the time when she would come down because I, I'd leave Christian music on 24-7 in my house. Because there's enough hell in the world, I need to come home to some peace. Amen? So if there's hell on, the, on, on your situations out there, and it seems turbulent everywhere else you go, create you a haven of peace. Let the music play. I really believe the Bible when it says he inhabits the praises of his people. He inhabits. That means he takes up residence. He sets up camp where people praise him. And if you've got some praise and worship music going in your house, God is setting up camp right there. Amen? So when you come home, it's a place of peace. It's a sanctuary. And I did that. And I'd leave my Bibles open and, and I had my concordance out and I, I had all kinds of books and different study guides and all this stuff when I first got saved. But this verse was one, and I, it's one I remembered. But I'm going to read 35 too just to, because I want to. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for the sake, for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. So if you hang on and hold on and do it my way, you're going to lose it all. If you give it up, you get it all. It's better to give than receive. Verse 36, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? What do you benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? And I've told this story before here that I, I was sitting there and I fell asleep on my couch. This is the verses that's in my heart, in my mind, I'm thinking about. And I, I had this dream, this vision of having a, a youth conference, a convention, and calling it Soul Survivors. I saw it like a sea of people, Rick, of kids to speak to the good news because they need to hear it. Young people go through enough hell. They need sanctuary when they come to the church. Amen? They don't need any criticizing spirits looking around saying, well, they're not perfect yet like me. Amen, somebody. Come on, some adults. What do they need? They need some people patting them on the back saying, good job. Welcome to the club. Amen? We're glad you're here. 
encourage one another. And I saw this vision, and, and, and I, I even it, it went deeper than that, and I, I saw this thing where the, it, it was a picture, and it was an imagery, and it, like realistically, I was up on this big aircraft carrier. It looked like it was, it was that big, a great big, huge platform. And there was people in the water drowning. And the, the entire sea was people, Jodon. And, and there was Christians standing around the edge of that boat. And they had these life preservers. And it had God's love wrote on them. It used to be painted on the wall. You can probably still see it if I get the light just right right here. There's Earth. Leslie drew it here for me one time. And we took these life preservers and we were throwing them out. And people would grab a hold of God's love and we would drag them back to the boat and pick them up and put them on the, sea, on the boat with us. Talk about soul survivors. And the second you get up on that boat, all you can think about is, I don't want anybody else out there to end up drowning in that mess when we got safety right here. And they, everybody just began. And the more that came, the more that was saved because there's more life preservers going back out. What if the church acted like that? That we cared more about the souls than we did our stuff. And here we are, and we're all doing this. And I've seen this vision like it was real. It was, it was really a tangible thing in my mind and in my dreams. But what did I do with it, Dusty? I'd just gotten saved. I can't do that. Pastor Wells could. That's what I was thinking. Pastor Josh, the youth pastor at church up at Racing, he could do it, Chuck, but not me. And I did nothing with it. And it was no less than six months later, I turned on WTBN one time, the Christian TV channel, and you know what the channel, they had brought a new person from over in England, and you know what the message was? You know what the name of the conference was? Soul Survivors. There was hundreds of thousands of teens come in England to this event and attend this event called Soul Survivors. Sometimes when we won't act, God still does. And if we refuse, he'll still turn us around and get us back to where we need to go anyway, even though we take the long road. Amen? And I, I kind of got mad at myself, Corey, that I didn't do anything. I had a vision. I had a dream. I had a goal. I had something God gave me, but I did nothing with it. So a work in progress is about quit sitting on our laurels and saying it's somebody else's job. Now, God can use somebody else, but he's called you to do something. And we're, everybody in this room, you're called to do something in the kingdom of God. He desires... Not to abuse you, but to use you for his purpose. So what will benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? This is Jesus speaking this. Is anything worth more than your soul? Hopefully every person in here says nothing. There's nothing worth more than my soul. Because it's what's going to live in eternity. Now, this body stays here on planet Earth when we die and pass away, but the soul goes somewhere. Amen?
Every soul will live for eternity. But the situation is there's only two places that it goes. And that's our choice. I'd rather gain my soul being in heaven and enjoy all the things that God tells us that heaven will be than to have possessions on this earth that means absolutely nothing in the kingdom of God. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns to the glory in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. God wants to change your mind today in this place. The Bible tells us we shouldn't think, one shouldn't think more of theirself than they ought. Amen? Amen. Philippians says this, Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. I want to think like Jesus thought. Amen. When everybody else says you're too late, I, I want to think, no, I, I'm right on time. Ashley, I'm right on time. And it may look dire, and it may look like there's no hope, and everything's lost, and it may look like the funeral's already been had. It may look like the tomb is already, the stone's rolled over it. But guess what? When God shows up, it don't matter. These earthly things cannot contain a God that created it all. He can change your, your problem, your circumstance you're facing in this place today. You may have walked in here troubled, beaten down by society, by telling you what you can't do. But I'm here today to tell you God is going to meet you here today to tell you you can. I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. I can. And if we would change our mindset to begin to say, my emotions, my fears, are not gonna, uh, they're not going to decrease my faith. I'm going to ask God to increase my faith today. Cause me to believe impossible things are possible. Does anybody in this room have some kind of impossible situation you're facing today? A major something going on, and it just seems like there's no hope, no way. Let's all encourage one another in here today and say, but God. <laughs> you don't know the God I serve. Amen. He's the God of mountains and valleys. He's, he's the God over it all. He created all this, but he's here, and he wants to change your mind so that you think like Jesus thought. Romans 1 describes another type of mind. It's called a reprobate mind. It says that God gave them over to a reprobate mind. It's a delusional mind. A mind that believes things that are not true, that are false. How many's ever been delusional? <laughs> Amen. The enemy wants to play tricks on you. He's going to climb up in here and sit down and get on a rocking chair and sit there and tell you how bad everything is. Amen. Come on. In our mind. Romans 12. Renewing of your mind. A refreshing of your mind. Give God your whole temple, your whole body, your whole person, and see what he can do with it. Give him your physical body. Begin to work out, eat better, do better, take care of the temple God's given you. Amen? Give him your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Say, God, I know I've got these, and I know you created this for me, and I know I've been using them, and sometimes in the wrong way. I give them to you. He'll use them, and I give you my spirit. Not parts of me. But all of me. 
I don't think it's God's will for anybody to have a reprobate mind. It's not his intent for anybody to be delusional. His intent is peace. He's the God of peace. And delusion will bring you anxiety. Come on, somebody. Anybody ever face any anxiety? When something's strong, is reality, delusion setting up in your mind, it looks like reality. Fear comes running, anxiety comes running. You can't even catch your breath. That's not from God. He's got a peace. Look at your neighbor and say, God's got a peace. What about our emotions? Proverbs, go ahead and play Leslie. Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Any hot-tempered folks in the room? Speak before we think. Get mad in a flash. <laughs> Quicker than lightning. Emotions. It's not God's will that any perish, but that all come to repentance. It's not God's will that any perish. Every soul was created for his kingdom. He, it is not his desire for anyone to live in hell for an eternity, lost and undone without him. But he gives us a choice. And what are we going to do with that choice? My mind, my will, and my emotions. So if you're here today and called in today's culture the struggle bus life is heavy the cares of this life has overtaken you and your mind your will and your emotions are a train wreck and you came to church and you thought well I'll go in spite of all these things. Maybe you've been coming for a while and you've thought, I'm going to keep on coming. And I know the enemy wants to keep me away, but I'm going to keep on coming. Because when I come in here, I sense peace. And it's a place of peace. here today to tell you you can take it with you in the Old Testament God was up on Mount Zion there was a holy temple that he came to and he stayed in but when Jesus on that cross of Calvary the blood come dripping down the earthquakes happened the veil was rent 
the Holy Spirit was no longer contained to a building chuck. He took up residence inside of human hearts. And he's a God of peace. So I just want you to close your eyes. I don't think there's anybody in this room that is perfected in their temple being a place where God is allowed to have all of us. There's none of us perfected. We're progress. We're work in progress. So I'm just hoping today that every person here makes a rational decision in this moment to say, God, here I am. Use me. All of me. My body, my soul, and my spirit. You have all of me. God, I need your peace. Some of you need peace in your homes. I'm so glad that the Bible says that God will give us a peace that surpasses understanding. You can't even think about it. There is so much peace available. It will overcome your thoughts. God, for those that's in this room today that's struggling in their home, that there's turmoil, there's strife, there's division, there's pain. God, I pray for peace that passes understanding to come running even now to their situation. I pray for their homes to be a sanctuary, God. God, I pray that you would equip them to begin to allow your praise and worship music to play in their homes. That you would abide there with them. Peace. Be still. Jesus, there are some people in this room today that's, that we know without a doubt are facing some situations on their jobs, in their workplace, and their emotions get the best of them. God, that we we're so easily angered by just the littlest thing sets us off. And Jesus, you're wanting to work on that in this place today, and I know it. So God, for those in this room that need some peace at their workplace, you can provide it. We know you can. We have faith to believe, God, that you can do the impossible. Even though the situation looks like there's no way out, God, I pray that you would provide peace when they walk in that place tomorrow, let there be a change in Jesus' name.
Jesus, you asked us to live in a community. And God, I know that there are situations where that it's hard to get along. It's hard to live in peace. God, there's some some people in this room God that needs some peace for some situations in our community for some deep hurts that has been made by some people that's maybe not even of your kingdom God but you told us to be at peace with all men if it be possible so God I pray today that your peace would come flooding in this place. That you would fill every heart. And God, for those that uh, have situations that they need you to, to work out and for it to be a work in progress, God, that you would begin to change things in the community for them. Even though it looks impossible, God, we believe and trust and know in this place today you can do those things. And we trust you, God, enough to say, I give you all of me. Because the minute I give up and I stop trying to fix myself and I stop trying to do these things to fix it myself, that's the minute you get involved. And when you get involved, everything changes. God, we pray these prayers in the name of your son, Jesus. Because you're the God of peace. And we need you like never before. When the world has fallen apart all the way around us, wars and rumors of wars, God, give us peace that passes understanding that we trust you more than we ever have before. I pray for the soul of every person in this room. If they don't know you, that they would come to know you. And that they will give up their life and accept yours. Because you're the giver of life. Jesus, we thank you in this place today. Amen. Amen. Amen.